Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Lisa Mitchell, who'll be sitting in for Matt Watson today. Hi, Lisa. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. Are you nervous about these big shoes that you have to fill sitting in for Watson? I'm super nervous. I know him. I'm very nervous. <laughs> I, I doubt that. Now, before I introduce Lisa and tell everyone out there what exactly she does and all the great stuff we're going to talk about today. I do need to let you know that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software development team quickly and affordably. Now, with me today is Lisa Mitchell. Lisa is the Managing Director of Techstars. She's located here in Kansas City, but has been all around. Techstars is an amazing, amazing, amazing organization and also the subject of today's episode it's hard of startup hustle so lisa welcome welcome glad to have you thanks i'm excited to be here i think that we should maybe start with what is techstars um so techstars is a company and the piece of techstars that i am involved with is the accelerator um, and we're a worldwide network that helps entrepreneurs succeed kind of broadly. We have a number of different arms, including Startup Weekend, Techstars Network, um, Techstars Studio, et cetera. But broadly speaking, relative to Techstars, we consider us a worldwide network that helps entrepreneurs succeed. And I run the accelerator in Kansas City. Okay. So, you know, business, business accelerators, any programs that help entrepreneurs, anything early stage and, and especially funding parts are highly, highly, highly popular topics here on Startup Hustle. You know, it, as far as tech stars go, I have um, compared tech stars here on the podcast to kind of like being selected to be on American Idol. Um, meaning like, it doesn't mean you necessarily won yet, but you got the, you got the ticket to go to, you got the golden ticket maybe. And I don't mean that in every sense of the word, but you get a chance to get up on the stage in front of a little bigger audience and, and talk more about what you do now from a business accelerator standpoint, what kind of companies does tech stars typically seek or what are some of the past what, what's some of the past stuff that you and the accelerator have done in the past? Yeah, so Techstars has two different kinds of accelerator programs. Um, a small portion of Techstars are accelerator programs funded by Techstars, and a much bigger portion of Techstars accelerators are programs that are funded by corporations. In some cases, it's a network of corporations. In some cases, it's a single corporation. Um, the program that I have in Kansas City is the last um, program that was launched that is fully funded by Techstars, um, meaning I don't have to run around and raise money um, for my companies. I am fully funded by Techstars. And what that also means is that I get to pick essentially any companies I want. Um, if I was running a corporate program, I would be look like I did last year in Indianapolis. I would be looking for um, companies that were very specific to solving problems for the corp that corporation. Since I'm running a program that I can decide on my own what I want, um, essentially, I look for founders that I want to spend the next five to 10 years with. Um, is a really big thing. People think that Techstars is a three-month accelerator, and that's totally a misnomer. Um, and so if I don't love them, it's going to be sad for me long-term because I am the one that will be. Um, I still, a 2018 Techstars company, and I meet every Tuesday morning at 7.30 in the morning, and he lives in the Netherlands. And that's not that unusual. Um, and so I'm looking for founders that I like, and I'm looking for businesses that I think that I can help. I know that, frankly, saying that string of words isn't very helpful to entrepreneurs because <laughs> they hear that and say, what the hell does that mean? 
Um, and the answer is to probably look at companies that I have funded before and have been involved with before. I love GovTech stuff. Um, I like EdTech. Um, probably one of the companies doing best in COVID right now is a company that went through Techstars 2018 called EdSites um, in New York that I think has closed more customers in the last two months than they had in the previous year. Um, I love marketplaces. Uh, Wattbuy was a marketplace that I funded in 2018. Um, I mean, I love, I, I like companies that are solving a real problem. I'm not so excited about things that are marketing ish, um, or things that it just like really aren't solving a real problem in society. So, you know, you mentioned, you said you even called yourself out on making what could have been interpreted as an overly broad statement. I personally found it to be highly specific. You said, we like, we like to be involved with companies that we can help. Yeah. Now, you know, I, I think that says everything because we've spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about all different types of investment forms and capital and structures and you name it. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that we've been repetitive across on almost all of them is try to work with people that can quote, help you. So what does help mean? I mean, help is more than just writing a check. And there's been a lot of terms for that, smart money, blah, 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 whatever you want to call it. But now I'm the same way. So through via full scale, you know, Matt Watson and I have made $800,000 worth of re resource investments in the last year. And the one the one requirement that we start with is can we quote help this company meaning like do we know anything about what they do do we have someone in that that theoretical rolodex that we can call any you know any type of stuff and some of and therefore a lot of the investments that we've made have been related to things that are we have to understand it and and I've, I've actually had opportunities and talked to companies and I've been, been like, you know what? I think you're going to do great, yeah. but it's not going to be with me as your investor because I can't bring you any value yep. and uh, other than the check or the resources. So, I mean, I think that that's a really, really important part. So, and, and in Congress with that, when you talk about, quote, helping a company, what are a few of the things that, that a well-aligned accelerator or investor will, quote, be able to help with? Yeah. So there's a number of things that um, relative to tech stars that are consistent across programs um, and kind of doesn't matter what the company is, no matter what, they will come out and they will have a killer financial model. Um, if they don't have a killer financial model tied to assumptions that can't be played by investors, they did not come from tech stars. <laughs> um, we have a killer way of teaching workshops tied to building sales funnels. Um, and we have someone that's written a book on that topic that we bring into every yep. single program. <laughs> yep. um, so there are super common elements that go across every Techstars program. Where it becomes different is A, the expertise of the MD and B, the network. And so I can lean on people across the Techstars network, um, or I can lean on my own personal network, which I do a lot. Um, I mean, this morning, funny enough, I sent an email to James Courier, who runs NFX. And I said, James, I just finished screening for my companies. And I think I'm going to select a boatload of marketplaces. And if I do, I am hoping that I can count on you to be one of my mentors in the program. Um, and so for me, when I'm selecting companies, I'm also thinking about my network. And if I can't bring people to the table that are way like smarter about something than I am, even if I get it, I want like the best of the best to come to the table. I will, Lisa Gansky, my former business partner, wrote a book on um, marketplaces for sure. She will be a mentor for me. She always is. Um, and so from like what is different, I mean, when we talk about Techstars as the network that will help entrepreneurs succeed, we mean that both locally as well as globally. We mean it short term and we mean it long term.
So if you're listening and you're interested in learning more about Techstars, it's pretty easy. You go to techstars.com. It's just just like it sounds. I'm sitting here, I'm looking, I'm like, well, we're nine minutes into this and I have not I have not mentioned that part. There's a link in the show notes. Check it out. Um, you know, I think those are all those are all great points, um, you know, especially when it comes to. OK, so I, I think a lot of people in early stages of business don't understand how hard it is to generate that first dollar that they that uh, in my book, Million Dollar Bedroom. It's one of the very first things I talk about when it comes to building a business, like understand your path to revenue, because you and I know you've heard it a million times. You get someone they're showing you they're way too long deck and they're saying if we can just get 10 percent of market share and you're like how about we get a buck let's get a dollar first you know and they're like well that's not going to be a big deal and they, you know but the i think the thing that so i i am an internal optimist but when it comes to startups and business i am a jaded pessimist in many categories because your ability to generate revenue partnerships credibility all that stuff in the beginning are are probably way, way, way worse than what you like to think it is. And with the right kind of guidance and being someone that has been a salesperson my whole life, I still consider myself a salesperson. Anything that you can do to any, if people can accelerate you forward in that process and get you in front of a couple people even if you don't get their business right away, you may still, you're going to remain on the radar for later and you might get some really, really insightful information about exactly what you're lacking or what you haven't considered that true influential decision makers can give. And I mean, would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Including, I mean, a CEO is the number one salesperson for a company. And if a CEO can't sell, forget it. We might as well just not even start the conversation. Even True. if you're a tech person, they better learn to sell or you can't hire your first sales guy and it can't, it has to be you. But the other piece of it, and I think one of the values that we bring to the table with our tech stars companies is I say to them frequently, my job is to keep you from doing horrible things in the first couple years of your company that you're not going to know are horrible until about year three or four and you can't survive from. And Please expand. What are some of those top ones? I want to hear it. Usually it's either legal contracts, it's strategic partnerships, um, channel partners that you decide upon. Um, I remember so clearly a funny story with one of my companies that I won't, I won't give specifics, but I'll give generalities who um, had been coached about, you know, here's how he needs to bring home his first couple of channel partners. He started out wanting to do a marketplace, but then it became obvious that channel partners was going to be a hell of a lot easier. Um, and he got his first contract and talked to one of the Techstars mentors, who is a former Techstars CEO um, in Kansas City, uh, who just moved away recently who he, he called me up about six hours later and he said, oh my God, Adam Blake just kept me from making the biggest mistake of my entire life. He said, I was gonna sign this deal because it looked fantastic. And he asked me these three questions because um, Adam was a lead mentor for him. And he said, I, this just changed my life. And if I would have done this, it would have killed my company. And so it's super important to, I mean, it's, and it's all, it's including things like hiring. It's including things like, you know, the stack that you're going to build on and your architecture, things like that, that, you know, sound super simple, or I can flip from this to that, that kill companies and people don't understand it. Um, your cap table, who you decide to take investments from. Um, and again, strategic partners and people who decide they're going to take you know, a venture investment from a corporate venture group. And frankly, no one, you know, no other corporate that's going to be a customer for, for them is ever going to fund the, or ever going to be a customer again, because they just, you know, laid themselves bare. Uh, and so there's a lot of things that founders just don't think about if they've never done it before. And sometimes even if they have done it before, but it's a different kind of company, they can blindly run down the run down the street and find out three years later that they screwed something up they can't recover from. 
So, you know, Lisa had meant, for those of you listening, Lisa just mentioned it as, as I'm about to channel partnerships and channel partnerships are when you're able to plug yourself into someone else's sales channels. Um, I, I having absolutely no reference here that makes sense. Well, I'll use, okay, I, let's, I, I'll make something up. This is fictional, but as the founder of Gigabook, a booking platform, if I were to say, take flywheel. Mm-hmm. flywheel who is up in omaha and they host wordpress sites now this is once again fictional but if they if they were to contact me or we contacted them and we created a very simple or easy you see a lot of one one click in integrations or something like that we made it very easy for them to offer what we had through their existing sales channel or anything like that and we would have some i don't know you you figured all these deals are different Right. But with that, and once again, that was fictional. So that's not a thing. I was just trying to come up with an example and do it as quickly as I could. So in in the same regard, though, channel partnerships and Watson's talked about this a lot, too. They can be wolves in sheep's clothing in a heartbeat because, well, a they often suck up. you're, You're rarely, if ever, immediately ready to be inserted into the channel. Which means that you have to take your own bandwidth, focus, understanding, all of that, and you have to dedicate it now to getting in the channel. Now, here's the thing is the channel, and I mentioned wolves in sheep's clothing, they look like this giant, uh, like, like just amazing pile of cash or whatever, but they often aren't. And um, the thing is, is you're in these channel partnerships, sometimes with an unlimited uh, other bunch of other partners and or different stuff. Um, you're just really unsure of that. I went through a situation with with that where I even did a bunch of development up front, did a whole bunch of stuff. This is several years ago. I learned a very painful lesson uh, because it stalled the growth of my other stuff. And and then you mentioned it too. It's like they're not just the channel partners aren't just letting you in there because they think you're cool. They want a portion of your revenue and a bunch of different stuff. And what you know, if you've listened to the show regularly, you've heard me say, don't sacrifice the long term on the altar of the immediate. Yep. And that means that you can make deals and that that proverbial deal with the devil or something. Now, on the flip side, though, channel partners done well can give you not only a level of street cred, but usership information data. Sometimes they're even strategically created. You say, well, I don't have the money to do this. And you can even, sometimes they're worked out where you may actually pre-sell licenses, do a lot of different things. Channel partners done correctly are (laughs) done well. Now that said, if you are a newbie and you haven't done this stuff before, you don't know what's, what a good deal is. You don't know the pitfalls to look out for. You're, you are literally David versus Goliath. Now in the story of David versus Goliath, the giant was taken down. The thing is, is the other 9,999 times that story was told, he got crushed underfoot. And realistically, that's the that's the kind of, of battle you're stepping into. Some people are equipped for it. Some people aren't. So, you know, now, now in regards to sales channels, did I miss anything there? Because I think that was fairly complete. Yeah, I mean, essentially, if you if you think that channels part, channel partners are a place for you, you need to figure out, okay, who are 20 potential partners that I can have, not two, um, and, you know, what is the pros and cons column both ways for like three or four of them before you ever even start going down this road, uh, because want to make sure that you're not going, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of times what we see is that people get into a channel partnership because somebody will come to an early stage founder and say, oh, I have this huge market in Canada and I want to be a co-seller of, of yours in Canada because you're not in Canada, you're in whatever, St. Louis. And I can totally do that. And then when you read the agreement, the agreement says, oh, and also we already have these 10 global customers that you can never talk to if we're going to be a, a channel partner of yours. And guess what? Six months later, one of those giant companies is going to call you and say, we really need what you have to offer and you're not going to be able to play. You can't do it. Yep. You're call yep. me and you're going to say, is there a way out of this? And I'm going to say, let me look at the contracts and I'm going to look at the contract and say, yes, there is in 12 months. <laughs> now, I want I want to highlight another thing that Lisa said. She said, "Go find twenty, not two. Now, this is someone who also a few minutes earlier has admitted a love for marketplaces. Now, marketplaces are driven by supply, simple supply and demand 
uh, uh, you know, equilibrium. And it's uh, the one thing that you, that you, okay. I don't timestamp issues a lot, but if you've been listening recently, I have today's April 20th and I oil was negative $40 a barrel, meaning like you could literally get paid to take oil right now because there's nowhere to put it. That is a direct effect of supply and demand equilibrium. And it, the one thing, it doesn't matter what you've got or who you are or any of it. If there's no, you cannot outclass the power of supply and demand. Now, within marketplaces, you also can't have an auction and you can't, you can't have an auction with one bidder. So get out there and talk to a shitload of people. Like the smartest people I know when that have exited companies, well, they get a, they get a few, they get a few interested parties going in. You will be the, a lot of the people that write checks suffer greatly from FOMO fear of missing out and join in on these things. So uh, if you if you ever hear Watson talk about exiting Venn Solutions, they got a whole lot of people vetted in there and, and they will joke, they will say that every day they would answer the phone going every day because every day the bid for the company got higher. Yep. And that's, that's, that's a marketplace effect, whether you're dealing with marketplaces or not. But, uh, you know, one of the things too you mentioned is that these exclusionary things and um, the, the thing is, is you can enter some of these partner agreements, you realize they're not anything near what you thought they were going to be, and then and decide if you want to retract from you mentioned the term 12 months or something like that. Eh. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. what's happening? And I, I, I'm living in today right now. So that, that can be challenging. You know, another thing too, that you brought up. And so at full scale, I talk to tech companies all day, every day, like either as existing clients or prospects. And and that tech stack decision. And I get a lot of people, you know, they, they come and they've got some strange, obscure platform. And I'll ask them, I'll say, what does, why did you ever decide to use this? Like, I mean, I'm just asking like, and, and they'll say, well, you know, I, I, my neighbor, John was blah, 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 blah. And, and he felt passionately that we use Haskell coupled with something else. I'm like, did John ever tell you that you would have a nearly impossible time finding people to work on it? Yeah, that's exactly. And it, and it would be like, you know, it'd be like me showing up in a, in China and not speaking Chinese, you know, like it, it, from a integration and comparability standpoint. And just like, and I see that a lot, a lot. And, you know, like, and, and there are, there are some things, and I don't know if that's what you were directly referring to. And then there's some other things that just aren't really made for certain things on an enterprise level. Um, so it's about like, who can you find to work at it? And like on certain, there's certain tech stacks, like, well, Ruby on Rails is an interesting one because a lot of people have decided to switch to that, but there's no, I mean, there's already a shortage of talented senior developers worldwide and then, and platforms like that there aren't even enough of them. So like when customers call me and they're like, yeah, I got a Ruby on Rails platform. I, I cringe a little bit. And it's just because I, we at full scale employs quite a bit of Ruby on Rails developers, but I'm only one phone call away from placing them with the clients I already have if I get a new one. So, you know, certain things is that forward thinking and that scalability. If you can't find people to, that are experts to work on it, that's a problem. Is, is that the similar stuff that you run into or is it different? No, it's very similar. I mean, same thing. Um, and I think the same thing applies to hardware. I mean, one of the competitive advantages true, that true. At Techstars is we probably invested in more hardware companies than anybody on the planet. And, and hardware is hard. And hardware is hard. It is very hard. Yeah. yeah. At Techstars, we have a back end called Techstars Connect that only founders have access to. And it's our kind of internal Reddit that is used by 2000 plus founders around the world. And I remember when having a conversation with Adam Blake, when he was starting um, Zico, you know, one of the things that he wanted to know is, you know, give me an understanding of the hardware companies, CEOs that I'm going to be able to reach out because the company that he started is not the company that he ended up with. Um, and frankly, it's because we, Put him in touch with Paul at Spiro and a number of other people who have been doing hardware for a long time and had a lot of early conversations with Adam about the road that he was going to go down. And he switched the road he was going down um, because it would have been too hard. 
And so our goal is to make sure that if companies are going to go down a specific road, let's find 10 or 15 other people that have gone down that road. We've invested in over 2000 companies now, so it's not that hard. Um, and let's make sure that they talk to each other and find out if there's something stupid that they're missing out. You know, and, and, and I'm going to lead that into the next thing. So one of the founders of Techstars, Brad Feld, wrote the book on venture deals. And I know because I have a copy of it. I just read the re most recent version of it. Well, I, I, I own the book and I have it on Audible. And, you know, we often refer to Startup Hustle as a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. That is a book about funding by funders for, by founders for founders. Yep. And it's not written by attorneys. It's not, it's written by people that have done it. And I, I love it. I love it because it's like, hey, look, this is really how it is, you know, in certain things. And like, this is why you want to avoid stuff. So I, I, I got to feel that at Techstars, you do a brilliant job or at least like very come from a remarkably well-informed point of view when it comes to, you know, so here's the thing is it, you, you go to apply to a business accelerator and there's a lot of companies that have collected these boy and girl scout badges along the way. Hey, I got into tech stars. Hey, I got, I got into this. I did this. I did this. I did that. Well, those are all, those are all things that you're, you're, I, I look at startups sometimes like a video game and you're, you're your own avatar and you get the tech stars badge. You get these other badges, you get these, you're on startup hustle, whatever. You have all these things that lend to your credibility, but you're doing so because you want to bring in an insane amount of money to make your dreams come come true. But the problem is, is if you've never done that or you're not well-versed in it, you immediately realize you, 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 this is what will go through your head. Oh shit. I am not prepared for right now. And I think that when it comes to a lot, especially tech stars and the reputation of the people I know that have gone through it, um, that that's something that you're, that, that, your organization really brings a lot of value around. Like what, what, are, what are your comments on that? Cause I, I think I'm right on, like it's over that first off raising money sucks. Oh. And then if you get to the point where you can do it, you're like, Oh my God, I, what am I, what are you, what are you talking about? What are these different kinds of shares? By the way, venture deals, Brad Feld. Yeah. Like, and, and by the way, I, I consider myself very well versed in the subject and I got about, 18 minutes into the audible. And I'm like, dude, I was like hitting rewind like five times. Cause I, I mean, I'd never heard of half the stuff, but well, yeah. all, all, all very, very important info. Yeah. And realize, I think this was version either three or four of venture deals. Actually, I think it's like six. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe so it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. We do it often because the world changes and things get, the things change. I have to tell you, I have, a crazy experience recently, and it depends upon what your your community is. Weird as this sounds, it depends upon community norms. Um, there's a city in Kansas City in the U.S. that is a larger city than Kansas City, significantly. That um, just has so few venture investors there that the norms are insane. And I was interviewing a founder. Um, I'm interviewing a whole bunch of founders, um, some of which will end up in my program um, from that city. And this founder called me back and he said, hey, you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to raise this priced round for 250K. And he, he kept talking. And that, but that's, of course, all I heard because I'd already met him. And I'm like, what? Wait, what are you doing? And I said, why are you raising a price round? Why are you just not doing a convertible note for 250K? And he was like, well, no one in my city has ever done a convertible note. None of the angel investors. Um, and there's, this is for real. This is for real. When I can tell this story after my program is announced in June, I'll tell the rest of the story because it's a big city. Um, and it was validated by like 10 other people and a ton of tech stars people are in this city who I've talked to, who have all said to me, yep, this is for real. And so, you know, part of the problem for entrepreneurs is they're wading through. So I read Brad's book, Brad's book, but then I go and talk to people who like were the former managing director of XYZ venture capital 
uh, company 10 years ago um, and they're significantly retired and they tell me, no, you can't only priced rounds. We, nobody does convertible notes. And so I understand why entrepreneurs are confused. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the thing too. And I, and I don't even have enough time to kind of get into my story about some of that, but having that feeling myself of like, oh shit, I'm like way in over my head. And I usually make sure I try to do everything I can to enter any situation with that not being the case. But you know, the, the stuff we're talking about is, is okay. You may know what a convertible note is, but there's, I mean, there's a, there's myriad ways that they can be utilized. There's a, a, a whole bunch of different structure and just stuff, man, just stuff that, that comes up and can affect it. And the status of, you know, the, the status and type of, of, of shares and like what happens if it doesn't convert and like all this different stuff. And, you know, while in the beginning, most of these things were, were created to perform balance, the well-needed balance between not understanding what some things were worth now compared to later, but also protecting downside for investors who may have like, cause if you buy a price around, you just bought a, you bought a piece of a company for a, a for a price. Yeah. Now that now here's the thing is that's going to, there's a winner and a loser on the side of that. And, and, and you won't know, like, you don't know people. I've had so many people that they're like, well, is this a fair valuation? I'm like, ask me in five years because you'll know, because you too will know. Yeah, but exactly right. And I don't, I mean, I'm not saying I love convertible notes and that's the answer to all things. I'm saying if you're a baby company and you're super, super early and there's no way to create a real legit valuation and you're raising less than $750,000, I would say you should do a convertible note. Once it gets beyond that, no, don't do a convertible note. Your dilution will be horrible. Um, you want to get to a price round by then, but darn it, I want you to have customers and be able to have a decent price on that round because you will live with that now for a while. So again, just details that seem like they could be insignificant that could kill you later. So, well, thank you for that. And I mean, we would have to have multiple episodes to legitimately go through and recognize, define, and I wouldn't even touch advising because I'm not an attorney. I don't think you are, are you? No. No. Yeah. So, not, but yeah, now, so literally can't advise you on what path to take. I mean, really in the end on so many levels, I've had, I mean, a lot of as bad as the answers may sound when I give them to people, they're like, well, is this fair? I'm like, do you feel it's fair? Does it feel right? Like, does this seem like a fair price? Are you excited about it? And some people say no one leaves a negotiation with a smile, but at the same time, like, you know, I think one of the things that, that sometimes people don't understand when it comes to investors is until which point they partner with you, yeah. it's their job to get the best deal possible out of you. And, you know, so you have to, you have to kind of, I meant, mentioned being a bit of, you know, jaded and somewhat pessimistic when it comes to certain things. I mean, reality is, is from my own experience in a deck in the last decade, I've seen, I see nine out of 10 attempts at funding fall through. Just meaning like, you know, like, and I'm not, that's not directly related to tech stars. That's just the way it goes because there's a whole lot of obstacles between you and the deposit. And I think that, you know, another thing too, that people need to consider is I see so many people wait too long. I'm like, they're like, yeah, I'm out of money in a month, but I'm going to raise capital. I'm like, and yeah. from the grave, yeah. I mean, or somewhere else. And, you know, like, I mean, the, the businesses are usually, okay, there's so many businesses that are affected by COVID-19 right now. The ones with high levels of survivorship are the ones that are, that have adequate capital on hand and didn't wait till they were at the end of their runway. So, you know, anyway. All right. So once again, with us today, Managing Director of Techstars, Lisa Mitchell. Go to techstars.com and maybe drop in an application to join their program. You have a whole lot of them. Now, you mentioned something earlier about wanting to work with people. Um, that's a, That's been a big thing for us here, both from the companies we work with from full scale. Like we actually tell clients no fairly regularly and while I might not dress it up as, I just don't know if I want to work with you. Sometimes that is the case. Um, 
and I, I mentioned in Million Dollar Bedroom that when you take on, when you sell people part of your company or you join up with people, it's actually easier afterward to get rid of your your spouse yep. than it is to get rid of your partners or investors. Now, based on that, um, I personally like to do business with people that I like, people that inspire me, people that haven't that aren't negative about all things. Um, this is an important part, especially in early stages, because you might have a great idea, but if no one believes in you, yeah. uh-uh, not happening. What are some of the things that really check boxes for you when you are looking for founders and where, and like what, I mean, like, give me, give me, give me a little bit and how important they are, or is some, are some of them maybe like, oh, I prefer this, but it's not required. Well, I mean, again, this is a really hard, hard topic because it is so, um, I mean, it's not unusual for different tech stars, MDs like myself to be looking at the same company. And we will say to each other and to the founder, you need to figure out, like if it's a city program and so then it's not tied to a corporation. I mean, I tell companies if... Like it, just as an example, if you were a material science company or you are a hard tech company and you applied to me and you applied to the heritage group program that I ran last year, if you are one of those kinds of companies, that should be your choice because those guys will be your first customers. I will not personally be your first customer. But when it comes to programs like LA, New York, Kansas City, we sometimes look at the same founders and we will we will talk about it amongst ourselves why it works better for me than somebody else, and it's usually very personal. It's um, a bunch of the companies that just went through screening with me. I've been talking to since January, and I've talked to them on multiple occasions. They call me when they have a problem. I am looking for whether or not they are mentorable. I am definitely looking for whether I can give them really hard feedback. And frankly, I sometimes try to almost be mean um, in terms of really pushing. Like, I hate the name of your company. <laughs> I did say that to one of the founders. I hate the name of your company. Um, and it's up to you. It's your company. But you're going to end up renaming it. You need to know that. So how attached are you to this? Or same thing on tech stack or same thing on Sometimes it's co-founders that I, I'm just not seeing it. I'm not seeing how it's going to work. Um, I'm not seeing why in the world did you do you have a co-founder that's a COO and neither one of you are engineers? I mean, you know, I'm out. Um, and so usually it's very kind of personal things like that. They're not. They don't seem to be able to be mentorable, able to take feedback really well, um, or they're doing they end up doing crazy things like I'm going to hire an outsourced salesperson that's going to do all of my sales. I mean, that's like a flashing red light for me of I need to have someone else to do sales means I don't understand how important it is. And so it's like, okay, I'm out. So, you know, there's some of the things you mentioned are, I mean, those are, uh, uh, you must have, you must have talked to a lot of entrepreneurs, Lisa. <laughs> Yeah. There, you know, there's, there's one of these things and, and, you know, I, I turned 45 here in, in 60 days. And I, I mean, as, as I've gotten older, I've, well, you mentioned a lot of things like the feedback thing. Like it, if I'm getting feedback from someone that I, that I respect, that has a lot of experience and whatever, like people look, it's feedback. It doesn't mean you have to drop everything you're doing and take it like, listen, and give it, you know, like give it some thought. Now, if you get enough feedback, you'll start to hear an echo yep. and it'll be the same thing over and over and over and over. So if you have an echo yeah. in your feedback loop, there's some validity to it. There's, there's something that's pointing that out. Um, I, by the way, I fully agree with you on that part. There's nothing worse. So I mentor a few people, um, on an ongoing way I have for years and I, you know, with that, it's pretty simple. My, I have rules. One, don't waste my time. And two, I'm not going to argue about with you about whether I'm right or not. Yeah. Like you're asking for feedback. I'm giving you my position. I don't have 30 minutes to sit there and listen to your justification for why you're right. And I'm wrong. You, this is a feedback kind of thing, you know, and now that said, 
you know, it's if I, you're going to get mentorship or you want input or advice, you're it, it, value it, yeah. value it, take it and just hear what it is. And, you know, like I said, you just kind of measure it up and see what occurs. Um, so, you know, another thing. So the next question I have for you is, is we've really reduced the whole investment process down to jockeys and horses. Um, it's kind of the, the best way now, you know, as if you, it, meaning the founder, the value of the founders, there's some people that just figure out how to make money, you know, and, and it might be, you know, that they, they understand how, when, where, if they need to pivot. Um, and you also have an idea, you've seen some track record with them. And then you have the idea, the business or what they're behind, which was this theoretical horse we talk about. Some, some, some investors like to bet on either. Now, if you have both, they line up at the betting window. Um, which one, which one of those, if you have to pick the, the jockey or the horse, but you can't get both, which one do you put more importance on? Um, I will tell you this is my answer, but it's also the answer for every leadership person at Techstars. The answer is always the jockey. Okay. Um, yeah. And- tell us why, though. Like, what are the components with that? Because, by the way, I agree with you. Cody Sims, um, who's in our uh, investment team, he made the greatest comment. He did screening committee with me in 2018. And we were <laughs> we were looking at companies. And one of the founders left the room and Cody turned to the rest of us who were all Kansas city people. He turned to the rest of us and he said, I hate that company, but you're stupid if you don't invest in him (laughs) because he's amazing. And, and I mean, Cody's comment is so perfect because I can say I can help fix a company. I can't fix a person. And so that's why team, team, team. And that's why we got to figure out, are they mentorable? Are they willing to make decisions in a little bit different way than maybe they did before? Um, but if they are amazing, which um, that was Nauman at Watby, he would be embarrassed for, for me to tell that story out loud, but it's the truth. And um, you just did. I know. And he's amazing. And, um, and he ended up pivoting his company. So, <laughs> um, and so we were right and it's doing great. <laughs> you know, one of the things that, that, you know, I, I once again, kind of aging myself, I I've learned to really appreciate the, you know, the, the, from the jockey angle, the overall experience, um, just of a person in general. Now that isn't always possible in early stages, but you, I, I, I feel personally, like I get a sense, like I can, t- Oh, this person gets it or they figure it out. I think one of the things that's really important for me is how, how's this person going to handle failure? Yeah. Um, one of the red flags that I get in, in life, whether it's an applicant or anything else is when people come in and then you're like, well, tell me about something you failed at. And they're like, well, I haven't really, I've never failed at anything. Now that's probably that's probably not true, but in the event that it was true and they hadn't, mm-hmm. you that person begins to ha- work on a forward mentality of feeling bulletproof. Yeah. And the thing is, is you just feel like it's never like things aren't ever going to implode on you. And those those are the folks that you usually see making some really wild and reckless decisions because they haven't ever had to really pull themselves off the mat. I love entrepreneurs with scars. Yeah. No, I like show me your scars, show me, show me your scars. And I, and if you are still around and kicking, cause I think Hollywood leads us to believe that people have a good idea. And a year later, they're a billionaire. That is not the case. I mean, most of these companies that you see exiting and doing stuff are seven to 10 years old. By the, I mean, some of them are several, multiple years old before they get funded. And that means that they have gone through that obstacle course. They have taken feedback. They have been beat up. They've had someone tell them the name of their company sucks. That the, 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 the decisions you've made have been mostly wrong. How are you even in business? Like if you can get through that gauntlet without, well, without just like flipping the desk up and telling everyone to F off on the way out, then you might be able to listen. And then, and the main thing is you talk about that coachability part is like, you know, and that's the interesting dynamic Matt Watson and I have is there's a lot of stuff we don't agree on, and but we're really open to like talk about it. Cause he'll, you know, he even said to me earlier days, like, I don't think you're right. And I was like, no, actually, this is why I thought this is why this is part of my plan. And he goes, Oh, 
Okay. You are right. Yeah. And, and that's, a, that you know, don't take it personally, like let it roll off and you move forward and you do the next thing. And that's the way that it goes. So, okay. So as far as, you know, as we're, and once again, our time flew by here. Did you have another point there? Um, well, I just wanted to bring something up because I Please. mentioned to you when I screwed up our time last week that I've got this side project that I've been working on for the last three weeks. And this is the perfect example of people who could be dying but aren't. Um, so I'm, I volunteered as the healthcare person that actually you know, works within Techstars that the moment COVID happened, we knew that we had a bunch of companies that were going to be in the fire or they were going to be in death and maybe needed to redo themselves. And so I've been working with them, about 160 of them, um, over the last three weeks. So that's CEOs that are doing things from um, Aunt Bertha, which is the most amazing company ever. I won't even go into it, but you should look it up. Um, to Well Health or Agenta. These are companies that already had a telehealth platform working in hospitals that suddenly became like the most important people on the face of the earth um, because their technology keeps you out of the hospital and, and does screening to companies like, um, oh, funny, we have two ants, Ant Flow out of, of um, Cincinnati, who's a Forbes 30 under 30, that completely closed down her business three weeks ago to start making face masks. Um, and we and we have a number of sports companies who completely don't have a business anymore. And so instead, they're using their route management software to do the food banks in New York and do routing and trafficking. I mean, those are the kinds of people and no one told any of them to do this. I mean, all of these companies who have had to do 100 percent pivots, raise their hands and said, here's what we're going to do. And we have gathered around them and they're all over the world we have gathered around them and figured out who to make introductions to them to in different parts of the world um like the guys at at uh reapley in chicago who already were working with the governor of illinois to use their asset management tool to track ppe and ventilators which is not even part of their business so then we introduced him to the governor of Colorado and introduced him to the governor of, of others so that they could do this stuff. I mean, these are founders that will be successful. The in the very in Million Dollar Bedroom, one of the very first chapters is titled My Accidental Business. Like but and you know, people say, Oh, is that luck? No, it's preparation and opportunity. It's also having having a keen sense. I mentioned earlier, like the uh, understanding a path to revenue, like, hey, I've got all these pieces and I can either put them together quickly or maybe we can do something that points us in a different direction or does a couple of different things. So now, once again, with us today, Lisa Mitchell, a Kansas City icon. There you go. Um, no, you I mean, you really are. You've I, I you have done so many things for. Uh, for Kansas City, and you recently visited my second hometown and my wife's hometown, Indianapolis, which is a really cool place. I was there for eight years. That's actually technically where Full Scale started because Full Scale has traveled down the road and from a from a pivoting and survivability and agility standpoint, it's it's a really funny story that I'm not going to write a book on that yet. I wrote this other book too early. I have to make another, I have to make, hopefully we'll have the billion dollar bedroom later. Yeah. Um, and, and at given rate from where I'm operating out of an extra bedroom in my home, I'm right back in the million dollar bedroom. So it feels very, very at home for me. Um, you know, we end our episodes of Startup Hustle with what we call the Founders Freestyle, where we let our, our founders or guests talk about a lot of stuff. Now, I still want to do that, but I want to give you an opportunity to, well, I'm going to ask you to advise founders. But I, before that, what are some notable things coming up with Techstars that our listeners, which, by the way, are in 190 countries, yeah. can reach out, like go to techstars.com. But what are a few notable things that people might want to might want to wrap their arms around? Well, we have an entire Techstars COVID webpage now that has AMAs that we're doing with ourselves, with Jerry Colonna, with people all over the country that are trying to help founders that are, you know, stuck or broken or solving, um, whatever. So I would tell you to go to our COVID-19 um, site where we're pushing out absolutely anybody that's, we had an SBIR workshop the other day. 
Um, so access to resources we think is unbelievably important. Um, as it relates to Kansas City, I'm all in. I'm, you know, I was hoping that I was going to be living in um, the UMKC building uh, during program. That might not be happening. We may be virtual, but we've run Techstars Anywhere virtually for three years, and the companies are amazing who have gone through it. So uh, we are ready to launch program on June 1. We'll make announcements that day of who our, our next Kansas City Techstars cohort is. So hope everybody uh, pays attention and supports them and that I hopefully get to have all of them in Kansas City during at least the month of July and August. Now, there's Techstars programs all over, though. Kansas City isn't where it stops. And even, you know, one of the companies that Fullscale invested in Healthy Hip Hop was was in the middle of Techstars Atlanta. Yep. Amit's getting sent home and is still working through that. But, you know, are, are there how many cities do does Techstars operate accelerators in? Um, I can't say cities. I can tell you we have 50 programs. There are some cities where we have two or three, like Berlin, London, L.A., Seattle has Alexa and regular Techstars. Um, but we have 50 around the world. I mean, we're in Singapore. We're in Taiwan. Um, we're in Tel Aviv, we're in um, a number of different places across Europe, as well as places across the U.S. In the middle of the country, it's Minnesota, um, Chicago, Kansas City, and Austin. So I'm willing to bet that if you go to techstars.com, you can find a very complete list of not only places they're operating, but upcoming opportunities and things that you can participate in. So we'll have us, we're going to make a slight pivot and what we normally do as the founders freestyle, I want to, we are going to pivot that a little bit into giving, we'll each give a minute uh, or last of advice or whatever in that ballpark. <laughs> What is the best advice that you could quickly give any founder that wants to try to enter an accelerator or raise capital? Talk to other founders that have been through that accelerator. It's that simple. It's not hard at all. Um, I often have people talk to founders that have been through with me when I'm trying to like sell them on the accelerator. But I think, you know, if you're a founder and you're thinking about going through an accelerator, talk very specifically to companies that have been through that one. You'll learn about the MD. You'll learn if there's corporate partners about working with the corporate partners. Um, that's my number one advice. Once again, with us today, we had Lisa Mitchell, the managing director of Techstars. Oh, for my founders freestyle, I'm gonna keep it pretty simple. If you're gonna apply for a business accelerator, come proper, have your stuff together, take it seriously. The people that are there to potentially help you get what you want and to review your material, their time's valuable. And I can say that if you don't take it seriously, it's going to show. And the likelihood that you are going to be picked for that accelerator is very little and minimal if you aren't prepared. So with that preparation, get your pitch deck together, practice it, review your business plan, make sure that you define what it is you're asking for and what you plan on doing with the resources or guidance that you get from a program like Techstars. Thank you again for joining us for another episode of Startup Hustle brought to you by Fullscale.io. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCarsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit StartupHustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.